0: So listen, last Sunday, we took time to look at Ezekiel 37, and we looked at this valley of dry bones, and we went through how God wants to actually do miracles in your life and how He wants to speak to every dead place in your world and bring it back to life. And this week, we're going to start off by just looking at the end of this story that we looked at last week before we jump in. So just to set this up, if you did miss last week, very quickly, you can read Ezekiel 37. There's a whole valley full of dry, dead bones. Ezekiel is carried away by the Spirit of the Lord, and then the Spirit of the Lord says to him, Hey, prophesy to these bones and tell them that they're going to live again. All of a sudden, all the bones start rattling across the valley, start forming muscle, skin forms on them. Then he prophesies to the wind. He prophesies to the Spirit of God. And life fills every one of these formerly dead bodies, and they rise up a great army again. So we're going to pick it up just at the end of this story in verse 11. Ezekiel's just seen this incredible picture. And then verse 11 says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, we have become old, dry bones.
1: All hope is. Is gone. Our nation is finished. Now think about that picture. All hope is gone.
0: The nation is finished. There's so many absolute words in there. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore, prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. O oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O oh, my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I've done what I said. Yes, the Lord as spoken. So what God does in this valley was a representation of what he wanted to do in the people of Israel. It was this foreshadowing of what was to come. And what God did in this valley is meant to be a representation of what he wants to do in your life as well. God wants to do... A miracle in you. That was last week's sermon. But equal, and maybe more so, God wants to do not just a miracle in you, but a miracle through you. He wants to do a miracle through your life. Ezekiel wasn't shown this valley of dry bones just so he can go, oh, it's it's a beautiful moment. What an experience. He was actually shown this picture so that he could be a carrier of hope and of life to the people of Israel. Now, you might not be called to be a prophet to the people of Israel. But the same call that was on Ezekiel is actually the same call that's on you and on me. We're called to be carriers of hope. Maybe you can think right now of somebody in your life who would say,
1: all hope is gone.
0: You're to be a carrier of hope to that person. You can probably also think of somebody
1: who would say, my life's finished. It's over. You're meant to be a carrier of life
0: to that person. So that brings us to the question that I want to tackle this morning, and it's this. How do we bring that life and that hope to the world around us? How do we see a miracle happen through our lives? How do we see that? We can hear a sermon like this and and you can go, yes, this is awesome. I want to see miracles. And then you get home and you're like, well, I don't really know what to do. So we want to talk about that. What's that next step? So that when we're stepping into this summer of miracles, we aren't just going, yes, we'd love to see miracles. We want to give some tools. We want to give those next steps so that we can actually not just talk about it or have a summer of miracles, but this just becomes the normal for our lives every day. So let's jump in on this. I want to look at a story in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. And the whole chapter is great, but I want to look at what we find starting in verse 18. So Jesus has just been teaching on prayer and fasting, and then we find this story. Verse 18 says, as Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Just then, a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand, and she stood up. The report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside.
1: What a powerful section of Scripture. Two people get healed.
0: Two people... Come to Jesus and find, a miracle happens. And what I love about this scripture is it just gives us such a picture of Jesus' normal daily life. It wasn't like, hey, Jesus, um, we've got a giant conference. Uh, would you like to come and speak at it in three months? No, it was just Anita Rose. Anita Rose as arose as He's traveling as he's just going through life. This was very normal for Jesus.
1: So, there's just a
0: few things that I want to pull out of this story that can be a lesson and a picture for us of, okay, how do we take a next step? If you want to see a miracle happen through your life, how do we get there? How do we start to move in that direction? The first thing is this Jesus was both active and passive in this story. So, the first encounter that he has, a man comes and kneels before him and says, Jesus, my daughter is is dead. My hope's gone. Just about. But I know that if you came and, and you just touched her, you just put a hand on her, I know that she could live again. And then it very clearly says that Jesus actually got up and went with the man. He got up and he went. So in that moment, he heard of this need. And he didn't just go, oh man, that sounds, that sounds terrible. He actually said, hey, I just heard about this, and he became active in his approach to it. In order to be active, you actually have to be walking towards something. He didn't hear about this need and go, well, that sounds a bit overwhelming. He actually pushed actively in to the situation. He wasn't sitting back waiting for someone else. He actually stepped out instantly in faith. And that's the first thing that we see in this passage is this active part of Jesus. And you can actually watch it all through Scripture when need comes his way. He never turned it away. They hear Lazarus is sick, and he goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. All throughout Scripture, when he heard about a need, he actively went towards so for you in your world, I want you to think right now of people and put a name and a face to it this morning of people who you know need a miracle. Uh, somebody in your world that needs a, a breakthrough. Somebody in your world that needs healing. We just had a need arise. I just heard about it this morning. We're praying for Carolyn Banks. who just got diagnosed with lung cancer. This is not a time to shy away. This is a time to be active in our faith. That's the picture of Jesus. It's not, Jesus was never moved with compassion, but just said, oh, that's too bad. His compassion always moved him to action. This year, Pastor Bill challenged us to find a person in our lives that we can be praying and believing for. This is what an active faith looks like. When's the last time you connected with that person? When's the last time you sent them a note? When's the last time that you prayed for them? He opened a door for miracles to happen because he said, who are you believing for? Who are you praying for? This is what active faith looks like. The other thing that I love in this story is this other facet of Jesus that we see. I struggled with the word passive, but I think you'll get the point. See, there's needs that arise that we hear about, but then there's also just stuff that just kind of happens when you're going through life. That was this lady who just came up to him and said, man, if I could just touch part of your robe, I'd be healed. Jesus didn't even know this was happening. He just happened to be there at that time. She'd heard about Jesus. And she came actually to him. So, what does this look like for us? It's that coworker who's having a bad day. You didn't plan for it, it just kind of happened. It's that moment. I'm not talking about any of my coworkers, by the way. But it's that coworker who's having a bad day, and you weren't planning on it. But an opportunity comes up where you could say, listen, how how are you doing? Could I pray with you? You didn't plan for it. You're just there. And an
1: opportunity comes up. This is that 2 a.m. phone call from a friend in
0: need. This is a homeless person that you just run into and they say, hey, you have a cup of coin. These are these passive moments that happen in life that we don't plan for, but we need to actually be ready for, for God to use us miraculously. And notice in this story, this lady, she, she just says, if I could just touch part of the robe, I'd be healed. You don't see Jesus going... Who's grabbing my coat? Get, get out of here. I'm trying to have a miracle over here, and I'm getting dragged. Or you're... He didn't get irritated. He didn't get frustrated when something like this popped up because everything looks like an opportunity when you're living with miracles on your mind. It doesn't come across as an inconvenience, It doesn't come across as anger or frustration. It comes across as maybe God's in this moment. Maybe God could do something. Just because we start to live with both an active and a passive faith for every opportunity
1: that comes our way.
0: We want to see miracles, we need to be ready for the things that we know about, that we have time to pray into, that we have time, and also the things that just come up. We need to embrace both because as we see in this story, Jesus took both opportunities and instead of there being just one miracle, there was two. Next thing is this. Jesus
1: was approachable. Um,
0: if you... Never want people to talk to you or to come up to you. Just always look stressed. So it's basically like this. If somebody, you're sitting at your desk at work and somebody wants to come in your office and you're just sitting there like, Very quickly, you'll find that nobody comes and talks to you, right? You can just keep everybody at, at an arm's length. But that's not actually what we find with Jesus
1: ever. Twice in this story,
0: we find people who just came up to Jesus, the most approachable man. And when you think about Jesus You could think he's this guy that's, you know, doing that hovering six inches off the ground and always a light show around him. Or we have ideas that Jesus actually thinks we're dirty, rotten people that he doesn't want to see. That's actually a lie if we believe that we can't approach Jesus. Because all through Scripture, you see people that have no fear of coming to him, no matter what their state, no matter what their situation. He was the most approachable person who ever set foot on planet Earth. You see it from sinners to saints, old and young, every possible demographic, there was no fear and no worry about them coming to Jesus. We all know with kids, kids, um, Kids are very perceptive usually. If somebody seems creepy, a kid won't like them, right? You've all seen this, experienced this. Kids are like, um, I don't, I'm not sure. Kids loved to be around Jesus. That tells me that there was no intimidation. There was no worry in a child coming and feeling safe with Jesus. Twice in this story, we read about it. In Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, um, Jesus quotes Pharisees that are talking about him. And he says, You say that I'm a glutton and a drunkard and that I'm a friend of sinners. That's how Jesus was known to the people. In his day, he was known as a friend of sinners who hangs out with tax collectors and prostitutes and all of these people that, man, you know, they would say, well, I don't know. If that person came to church, they'd probably get all burned up like there was those old jokes from the 70s or something. But they didn't find that in the presence of Jesus. Everybody found that they were welcome. He was known as a friend of sinners, but all through scripture you see sinners that actually considered him a friend. It wasn't just like a title he gave himself, this is how it was viewed by others. So here's the questions for us. Is this how we live? If, if I were to do a private interview with one of your coworkers, would they say that you're friendly? Would they say that you're approachable? Would they say that you're warm? Would they say that you're welcoming? What about a person on a sports team or a club or something that you're part of? What would they say?
1: Now, if you're feeling something on the
0: inside and you're going, oh, boy. Um, I'm just asking questions. But it might be something to look at and go, maybe I'm not as approachable as I thought. Maybe I'm not as welcoming as I thought. There's other things like how do you manage your face? Do you have like that permanent scowl?
1: Or do you smile? Is there something bright? Do you bring some
0: life when you enter a room? Jesus got invited to parties because he wasn't a giant downer. Do people feel like they can really be themselves around? Can they let some of those walls and guards down? Is
1: that how open you live with other people? I'm just asking questions.
0: If Jesus, the Son of God, was this approachable, do we have any reason why we should be less approachable? Last thing is this. Jesus had something to give. Whether it was active or passive, Jesus never came up against the need that he didn't have resource for. Never came up against that. He lived life with this full tank, always ready to pour out as something came up. You see, all through his life, where you would just go, my goodness, I would be burnt out but his natural habitat was fullness, regular fullness. And you might go, well, yeah, he's, but he was Jesus. He had this red phone to God. It was the hotline where he could just airdrop in an extra tank if he was, he was a little short. But then we see the same thing through his disciples. You'll remember Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are walking to church one night, and a beggar says, Hey, do you have any money? Do you have any money that you can give me? And they say, No, we don't have money, but what we do have we'll give you. And they take the beggar by the hand, and they say, Rise up and walk. And instantly the guy's legs are healed, and he goes off dancing, praising God. See, these disciples didn't give the guy money. Well, how come? Well, it's because they didn't have it. You can't give someone something that you don't have. I could make a lot of promises to give each of you a million dollars. I can't back it up yet.
1: Well, I'm not sowing that over my life.
0: But you can't give something that you don't have. And my desire for this church, for each of you, and I believe God's desire for your life, is that you would live not out of a desert, dry bones place, but that you'd live out of a fullness that God gave to Jesus, that God gives to his people. That's my heart. That's my prayer. So the question then is, does that sound good? Is there Who would like to live out of a place of fullness all the time? Okay, I just don't want to be preaching things that that sound crazy. So if that's a desire, then the question is how we live there. Oh, and here's where it gets really interesting. Because how many of you went to, well, I sure don't read my Bible enough. I don't pray enough. Never fasted in my whole life skipped church two weeks and slept in. How many people went instantly to this list of things that maybe you weren't doing? Or fullness is at the top of this giant mountain and I better get climbing. And all of a sudden, it, instead of being something that's life-giving, it becomes a weight And it becomes self-condemnation on a whole bunch of stuff where you feel like you're constantly failing. That might not be true for you, but that's true for me. Or I can get so hard and I'd say, well, God, I would love for you to do a miracle in this person's life, but, I mean, you know my track record here. I don't know how you're going to do it through me. And we talk ourselves out of living in a place where God can actually use us because we don't hit his list of, sorry, we don't hit our list of being usable by God. Jesus didn't actually rise again from the dead just so that you could see miracles. Did you know that? Miracles are actually a byproduct. Healing is a byproduct. He actually died and rose again so he could just have relationship with you. So if we can get past all of the clutter and all of the reasons why God can't use us, and we just start to enjoy being with him, the very thing that flowed through Jesus will begin to flow through us.
1: What's in you is going to flow
0: out of you. And is there important stuff? Is Bible reading important? Absolutely. They're all important, but it's actually meant to give life, not to be a reason to disqualify yourself. So maybe I could get the- keyboard player, singer, any worship team members who want to. But in a moment, I'm going to pray. And what I really felt coming into this morning is that we're going to pray for two things. If you're here and you want to be just a carrier of hope, you're going, yes, I want to just have Massive overflow out of my life everywhere I go. Yes, I want to see a person who can't hear out of an ear healed. Then we want to pray. We're not going to stop pursuing this miracle thing. If you're looking for a break this summer, it's not coming. This is where we're going, and we're going to push for it, and we're going to battle for it, We're not going to apologize for it. We're not going to conform our experience to our past experience. We're going to conform our experience actually to what God says it could be, should be, and will be. Well, let me read this verse to you because I also know that we can hit these spots where we're dry and we just feel like, yeah, I'm somewhere between God gave me a promise and the bones in the valley actually starting to move again. So I want to pray this morning too for people you feel bottomed out or you feel disqualified. And we want to pray just for a fresh river of living water to flow through you. But listen to this. Out of the message in Matthew chapter 11, Verse 28 to 30. I love how this is worded. It says, are you tired? Worn out?
1: Burned out on religion? Come to me.
0: Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Right now, I just want you to recall that last time that you felt that closeness with God. When's the last time when you were overwhelmed by his presence? Think about it. Recall it. Maybe it's been a long time. Maybe you're here and you've never had a relationship with Jesus and this seems new or foreign. But just begin to think on his presence. You remember what it felt like. And I'm not talking just religious activity. I'm talking about actual relationship, those moments of encounter with him. What's in you is going to flow through you.